Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. I'm Kai Rizdal. Tuesday, 11 April is what the calendar says. Good to have you all along. So we are going to do a little AI today. We're going to talk about the buzz. We're going to talk about um, how worried you ought to be or maybe not. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah, in particular, we want to know about the cultural impact some of these AI tools might be having already, how they're changing our relationship with technology, maybe what's coming down the road. So here to make us smart about all of this is Kyle Cheka, staff writer at The New Yorker, covering, as appropriate, technology and culture. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It f I know that ChatGPT and versions of this technology have been around for a couple years now, but it feels like it's been just in the last couple of months where it really entered the mainstream. And we've talked on this show about whether or not this is like the printing press or the advent of the internet, of the rollout of the iPhone. What would you compare it to? It's a really hard question, but I do think it rises to that level of the printing press or the internet, where it's this tool that like fundamentally shapes everything we do, how we think, how we interact with the world. So I kind of see it influencing everything that happens going forward. Here's the thing, though. You know, the printing press, for, for as good as Mr. Gutenberg was, uh, you know, getting that Bible done, it took a long, long time for that to roll out. And here we are now. Mm -hmm. are now. I mean, almost literally at the speed of light, right? I mean, that's how fast this thing works. Um, and, and we're having a tough time wrapping our brains around it, right? Yeah, it's just happening so fast. I mean, as you said, even in the past few weeks, things have changed. There are more new tools. The tools are smarter. It's just impossible to keep up. So what, at this point, do these chatbots like ChatGPT and Bing AI do well? Hmm, I think the best things that they do are kind of office assistant tasks. Like they can look up facts for you, they can generate an itinerary, they can summarize a report or write a report for you, and they can kind of suggest things for you to write that a human still certainly has to edit and think through. Um, but yeah, I think these kind of like office tasks, computer tasks, writing, emails, communication, all the things that kind of consist of, that our jobs consist of, are being influenced by them. And then don't panic. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I feel a little panicky, honestly. Well, say more about that. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think the fluency with which Chat GPT and other tools can generate text as a writer—that's a little scary to me because you know I make a living being a human being who writes things uh, and hopefully writes them well and has original insights. <laughs> but for like the vast majority of writing that's produced in the world it's possible that these tools can just do it faster, if not better. Can they do it tomorrow or is it going to be a year or is it going to be 10 years? It's not going to be 10 years. Never mind. No, I feel like it's six months to a year. I mean, I talk to people now who are using these tools actively, who are using, using image generating tools in art therapy, using text generating tools to do their pitch decks. Like it's happening right now. You know, I wanted to ask you about image generation and, you know, for our purposes, audio generation. Mm. Um, you know, we're already seeing these very convincing photos of political leaders. I saw on, I don't know if it's an Instagram account or a TikTok account that basically converts 
many Republican members of Congress into very realistic images of people who uh, dress in drag. And then we all saw the Pope in the coat that was not mm-hmm. real and the images <laughs> of Trump being arrested. And, you know, I was just reading a story in the Post today about AI being used to make extraordinarily convincing pornographic images. And I wonder how you think that is changing things and how quickly. Yeah, I mean, it it clearly is changing things right now. I mean, people are being fooled by these disinformation images. Like, I was completely fooled by the Pope wearing a very fancy jacket. Me too. I I totally thought it was real. Uh, I mean, I think not every AI-generated image or piece of media is that convincing. Like, there are also fake videos of Biden and Trump playing Minecraft, which are, like, very funny but definitely not real in any way. Uh, I think I saw them compared to political cartoons. So I feel like the the majority of this stuff I don't think is meant to fool people necessarily, or at least doesn't fool people right now. But it is this kind of new creative form and people are playing around with it. Like I listened to this track by a French rap duo that just used Jay-Z's voice as, as a rapper in its song. And that just totally blew my mind. So how how should we think about this? Because panic gets you nowhere, but obviously we can't ignore it. What's mm-hmm. the happy medium? <laughs> I think insofar as it's possible, I'm trying to use the tools and experiment with them and kind of feel the limits of what they can do, if even just to convince myself not to worry too much, like... ChatGPT can't generate a good 1,200 word article, which is kind of my bread and butter, I would say. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's possible. I want to know how people are using these day to day and incorporating them into their lives. And so I think seeing what happens will make us understand better if this is just like the new Word document or email or if it's some kind of more insidious change. What have you seen so far as you've been observing other people working with the technology and and yourself working with the technology, companies working with the technology? How is it changing us? (laughs) I mean, I think it might change our, our minds faster than what we do. Maybe that doesn't, it's not very clear, but it's you know, it changes our mental imagination of of what we see in front of us. So when when I look at an image online now, or I maybe read an email or look at a PDF, there is this like niggling feeling that it might be AI generated. Mm-hmm. So it makes mm-hmm. me almost doubt the authenticity of the things in front of me in a way that I absolutely didn't a year ago. Like, you know, you see a photo of the Pope wearing a leather jacket or in front of a crowd Maybe it's real. Maybe it's not. The rise of these tools means we don't know in that first instant. What's interesting about that is that the skepticism about the Pope is an interesting pop culture thing, but there's real disinformation and misinformation going on in this society right now. And as we all know in our politics and maybe a little initial hesitation and is this real would be good. (laughs) Yeah, it could build some more skepticism or maybe fluency in what we see online, but it that almost feels like a losing bet given our past 10 years of history with the internet. Like trusting people Mm. online to think twice has not been a a good bet, (laughs) I would say. It's not a money winner, yeah. Well, and I'm remembering in the early days of the January 6th hearings, you know, Benny Thompson said, 
he quoted song lyrics that said, are you going to believe me or your lying mm-hmm. eyes, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. rely so much on visual evidence of things for proof, on documents for proof. And I wonder what it will mean, especially in our political climate, when you can't trust those things so easily anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would hope that the AI companies are building in safety mechanisms like, you know, stamps or watermarks that that show that something is AI generated. And there are tools that allow you to put in text and kind of give a good judgment of if it's AI generated or not. But I think, I mean, with the rate that these things are improving, that's going to be harder and harder to track. And the tools themselves mm-hmm. are getting more and more accessible. Like you saw the Facebook AI model leaked online just in the past few weeks. Mm. So so all in all, are you hopeful or fearful about this technology and what it's going to mean for, you know, all, all of humanity? <laughs> I think I'm fearful in the short run and maybe hopeful in the long run, yeah. ideally. <laughs> I think short term, we're going to have to adjust a lot of our, our behaviors, particularly in regards to digital content. We're going to have to see how this impacts our livelihoods and how it changes work for a lot of people. In the long term, you know, I hope that it shows that maybe human labor isn't so irreplaceable after all, and we should have universal basic income and a vast (laughs) tax on AI tools and training data. Uh, But, you know, that's a kind of utopian future. What then would you say... And in terms of like how we make this adjustment, because I know a lot of people Mm. who are aware it's out there, but they feel like they're so behind the curve already that it just entering the space feels daunting. Like if you were to give somebody sort of an easy thing to hand off to AI that may Mm. help them kind of get a sense of it and maybe feel a little bit more aware, if not comfortable, what would what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I think. The Bing search that's driven by AI now is a pretty interesting tool. It's not completely publicly available, but if you do chat with that bot and ask it to generate a travel itinerary, list you 10 vegan recipes or something like that, it is really fascinating to see it spit back that list immediately or write something, write a piece of content that that is specifically tailored to what you needed. Um, And then the image generators too, I think, Playing around with them gives you a sense of what they can and can't do and maybe gives you a better sense of what their flaws are. So if you can go into Midjourney's Discord and, I don't know, generate a funny image of a dog or something, Mm. you might, it's Mm -hmm. fun. It's completely fun and interesting and it gives you more fluency in, in what's actually happening. So I think those are useful exercises. Kyle Chega is a staff writer at The New Yorker covering technology and culture and trying to keep us all from panicking and running yeah. around screaming. Thank you so much. Kyle, thanks a Thank lot. Thank you. Not replaced by a robot yet. Not, 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 not replaced not yet. by a robot yet. That's not the motto. Yet. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got I replaced know. by Siri ages ago, so I'm, I'm a little uh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kyle, voice, much. voices particularly. Anyway, thank you for having Dude. me. <laughs> yeah, bye. Yeah, I, oh, I want to be hopeful. I'm a little, I'm a little wary right now. I would say that's where I am. I think that's where I am. I mean, 
I, I just, I have a lot of faith in human resilience and we've survived some pretty terrible inventions mm -hmm. over the millennia, um, good and bad. And pretty much everything that started out as being something for good has been manipulated into bad and yeah. we're still here for now. So I'm going to choose to have faith in us. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you have used uh, ChatGPT or, you know, any of the other AI devices that are out there, which one you like, which one you don't, um, let us know. Let us know how it's uh, useful to you or, you know, perhaps it's not. I don't know. Our number is 508-827-6278. Email us if you like. Make me smart at marketplace.org. We are coming right back. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. All right, news. That's where we are. That's how you know we're doing the news is that little thing you just heard. Uh, Kimberly, go. It's called a sting, uh, technically, I'm... in radio. Come on. You know, whatever. <laughs> Look, just following up on the conversation we yeah, just had, yeah. there are so many different camps of where to fall as we're thinking about where we're going with AI, what role it's going to have in our society. And the Washington Post had this really interesting piece sort of breaking down some of these different camps, uh, including, I'm seeing how they categorize them, the AI safety camp, the AGI believers, artificial general intelligence, the AI doomers, the AI <laughs> ethicists. And yeah. it breaks down sort of who's in each of these groups, where they stand on where AI is going, and how much power and influence they have. And what I thought was really valuable about this breakdown is that there are really smart people in mm -hmm. all of these different groups. And so if folks like you and I or people in the audience are kind of like, we don't know where to where to land with this, you're not alone. Some of the brightest minds in the country and in the world are also still trying to figure out where we're going with all this. Yeah, it's a really hard problem, right? It's just it's really, really difficult. And I'll just I'll I know you've got another news item you want to get to, but I'm just going to mm -hmm. jump right in here because because mine is sort of aligned. Just. So AI has been a thing now for a while in, in this society, right? We've all had, you know, our experiences with it. But ChatGPT and the real maturation of it seems to have come out of nowhere, like in the last two, three months. 
And so now the federal government, courtesy uh, of an organization inside the Commerce Department called the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, NTIA for short, is just now taking the first steps toward trying to figure out what regulation ought to look like if we decide we need to regulate this stuff and is seeking public comment. So I just, two thoughts. Number one, it's a little bit like hackers, right? The good guys, which is to say, you know, the people in charge of keeping everything orderly are always a step behind the people developing the technology, whether it's AI or black hat to hackers or what have you. And I think that's going to be a real challenge because as we've seen, this has moved so, so, so fast. Um, also, I hope there are a lot of really smart people out there who are going to comment on this thing because opening it up for public comment could be just, you know, a big barrel of monkeys or snakes or whatever you want to call it. Regulations.gov, friends. Public comments are your friend. <laughs> you are the biggest geek. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, since we're going all tech today, yeah. um, you know how sometimes you have these like moments where you're paranoid about technology and you're like, eh, I'm probably overreacting. My mm -hmm. phone isn't really listening to me. Oh, but it is. But it <laughs> but is. It is. Explain all those so, ads that pop up on my Insta I with know, me not having clicked on anything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I had one of these moments today when I came across the story. I we In the show notes, we'll have a link to NBC News coverage of it, but it was everywhere. Uh, that the FBI is now warning people about using public phone charging stations. So that's the place like in an airport or at a restaurant where the, you, the outlet has like the USB plugs and you can plug directly into the USB and charge your phone. Because according to FBI Denver, Avoid using free charging stations at airports, hotels, or shopping centers. Bad actors have figured out ways to use public USB ports to introduce malware and monitoring software onto devices. Carry your own charger and USB cord and use an electrical outlet instead. Just because you're paranoid safe. doesn't mean everyone's that's, not, that's, out that's, not out to get you. That's exactly right. That's, no, look, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I mean, like, I've I've definitely had these moments where my battery's been low, and I'm just like, oh, I know I'm not really supposed to plug into public, you know, charging, but it's right there, and I don't have the little plug that actually yeah. has the plug on it. I just have the USB cord, and sometimes I'll be, like, in an, an Uber or a Lyft, and they offer you to, you know, <laughs> charge your phone, and I'm just like, is it a trap? <laughs> you know what? That, this, this is now going to become a, a slide that we're going to have to spend six minutes on in our next oh, IT gosh. security training. Oh, no. I guarantee it. Don't pick up USBs in the parking lot and put it in your computer, and don't use <laughs> public charging stations. I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that, you know, I kind of suspected, but I didn't realize it was a real thing. And I guess there hasn't there haven't been a ton of very public reports of people who've been hacked this way because it's a little bit hard to trace it because um, it kind of depends on when you figure out that your phone's been compromised. But, yeah, plug into the electrical so, outlet so instead, friends. You know, it's so interesting. Sorry, I'm just thinking through the, logist the, the actual, you know, signal path of this thing. So I always just assumed that those USB ports in, like, airports and, and whatever were just somehow plugged into the power lines and they just drew power from that, you know, minus whatever transistors or transformers or resistors would would step down the the power but this sort of implies that it's something else 
So this is what I learned from reading in on this today is that there are kind of two different types of USB uh, ports. Some only provide power for charging only and some transfer power and data. data right. And you know how sometimes you'll plug your phone into a, like your USB mm -hmm. from charging your phone into a computer and it'll ask you if you want to mm -hmm. trust mm -hmm. this device? Mm -hmm. That's a signal that it has the option to send data back and forth. Mm -hmm. That's why you can like upload you know, from right, right, memory right. cards and stuff um, one way to another. So some USB ports do data, some USB ports only do, um, you know, uh, charging. Wow. And in the same way that people have like credit card skimmers on ATM machines mm -hmm. or on mm -hmm. gas stations, people are, you know, doing something similar when it comes to some of these USB charging ports. So, sigh, gotta be vigilant, gotta yep. be vigilant. All right, that is it for the News Fix. Let us move on to the mailbag. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. All right, we've been talking a bit about AI and ChatGPT, not just today, but uh, over the last number of, of weeks and months. Uh, here is uh, what one of you all had to say. Hello, my favorite humans. The other day, I suddenly had to write a letter of reference for one of our extra delightful theater volunteers and had zero minutes. Enter chat, GPT. Hmm. And le voila, a letter that expressed exactly what I wanted to say. But here's the kicker. Next, I typed in, tell me what you know about the Make Me Smart podcast. The answer, a lengthy, informative, yet pretty darn inaccurate result, especially the lead sentence. The Make Me Smart podcast is a popular podcast produced by American Public Media and hosted by Kai Rizdahl and Molly Wood. Oh, Say what? Boo. It goes on to cover <laughs> things like your segment called What's Making Us Happy. What? Still the chat GPT tab may remain <laughs> forever open on my laptop. <laughs> Till next time, this is Gayla signing out from sunny Tucson, Arizona. Wow. wow. How about that? I mean, that's not super wrong i mean you and molly did start the yes, show and yes. we are indeed sort of kind of produced by american public media in that it's kind of sort of our parent company ish uh, <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird hierarchical structure <laughs> but so it's it's accurate ish yes i'll go with ish <laughs> and i think that's that's the that's the takeaway right yeah it's accurate enough to make it well, right, believable, right, plausible, which is right, what makes it right, so inherently right, risky. Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, before we go, we're going to leave you with this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question, which is, what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? This is Alana Ratliff from Wilmington, North Carolina. Something that I thought I knew but later found out I was wrong about was asparagus pee. <laughs> I thought some people, when they ate asparagus, had stinky pee and some did not. Later, I found out that, no, everybody has stinky pee after they eat asparagus. It's just some people can't smell it. Wow. There's actually been studies on this to determine the genetic variations that could be causing the asparagus as nomnia. I'm probably pronouncing that word wrong. But anyways, I'm smarter about my asparagus pee now. Have a great day. A little something for everybody on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks, I guess. <laughs> Look. I mean, yeah, 
yeah, you know, learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. All right. Well, asparagus pee aside, what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? <laughs> Leave us a voice message with your answer to the Make Me Smart question. Our number is 508-827-6278. 508-UB-SMART. Man, didn't see that one. That's one of the most unique ones I've didn't heard yet, for sure. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado with mixing by Mingxing Quigon. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our acting senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bonner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and also on demand. They work for her too. Marketplace vice president and general manager for whom we all work is Neil Scarborough. funny how some days there's a lot of music left over when we're done with the credits and some days there isn't we all want to be our best selves but it can be an expensive journey from experimenting with alternative medicine i was working with a natural holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost to splurging on fast fashion i'm spending like all my tips i was definitely spending like 200 dollars a week I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.